Hi, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Wizard Opinions, because it's just me and Kyle, and I don't know how it's going to go, because I have been awake for a full 24 hours. Kyle Mathis, how are you doing? Whoa, I'm doing I'm doing well. I slept well last night. Well, except from the hours of 3 to 5, but I'm not going to count that. But every every other hour was, was really good. What was Why going were on you... from 3 to 5? <laughs> Have you ever been so tired that you wake up and you're like hungry, but you're in like a weird daze and you you don't want to get up, but you just kind of sit there existing and you think, oh, I'm going to go back to sleep. This is going to pass. Well, that's normally how I feel during my entire work day. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a terrible feeling. Uh, but yeah, so I was there and uh, eventually like at five, I was, I was able to snooze back off. But um, for you, it's though... interesting. Three to five is normally my cat management hours. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes uh, sense. Because they wake up and they get hungry at, like, 3 a.m., and then, like, some of them want to come into the bedroom, but then they fight in the bedroom, so I have to keep <laughs> them separate, and it's a whole thing. That sounds that sounds like a, a dirty job. It's like I have to manage the cats until they're chill again so that my wife can continue sleeping. Because so she's do a teacher, it. and her job is yeah. more important than mine. I understand you, man. I, I I try to keep I gotta try to th- keep things quiet as well so Courtney can sleep because I feel like her job as a nurse practitioner is way more important than mine as well. So I'm like, eh, you know, she yeah, loses we, hours we of sleep. We both kind of work in technology, so we're in a position where, you know, I will say personally, if I'm a little bit late to work, it's not an emergency. Yeah, no one's going to die. That's fine. and But also, like, I can bring my laptop home, and if I feel like I'm short on work for the day, I work in the night, and I just make it up, and it's fine. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to get behind, because you're always available or kind of on the clock, because you can do your job from anywhere. And right, it's really tough to manage. that's the thing about the modern flexible schedule, is you're sort of always at work. <laughs> it's the, this, the trick that we duped ourselves with. Which is actually um, what I was doing most of last night. Well, that sucks. Um, Not really. It felt great. Oh, really? You were just like, man, Because I picked up I'm my pounding. laptop around this time last night because I, I, I took a nap in the middle of the day yesterday. Mm-hmm. At about 7 o'clock, I woke up from my three-hour nap. <laughs> Whoa. And I was like, I'm going to get some work done and be ready for tomorrow. And I just kept getting things done. You know oh, what I mean? And I got feeling. on a roll. I got on one of those rolls where I'm like, oh. I just kept ticking those boxes, and it was like, mm. you know, it was like finishing quests in Skyrim. I just kept, kept God, resolving those Jira so tickets, man, one after the the other. Ooh, it felt the so Jira good. Ticket. Oh, hitting the resolved button. Oh my God. People don't understand, man. I That's created like... some Jira tickets for myself just so I could resolve them. What? Okay, see so now you're getting crazy. It's like saying you put a gallon of whipped cream on your Sunday. Because <laughs> around like 2 a.m., I was like, huh, here's some things that need to be done, but I don't have a ticket for them, and I don't know how to track my hours. So I'm just going to make some tickets. Man, that's so good and so terrible at the same time. I uh, I know how you feel, dude. Checking, checking off the list is good. I actually have the app called Todoist, which is um, it's like a checklist app. But it's like a yearly, like 30 bucks a year, but it's really good at making a little checklist, marking it off, and then like at the end of the year, at any time, you can get metrics on it. But I didn't re-up this year because Google, in their in their Gmail, in their G Suite, oh, good. They, 
they, yes, they've added. What'd you uh, do, they've, add, they've added task whenever you're in your email now. So you can hit like a little tab, and it's just it's the same thing. It's got a little to do list over there, but you can link your emails easier. So it's actually it's actually a little bit better. I haven't actually fully transitioned to that yet, but having a good to do list is um is a big deal. And I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I need more than one and that's kind of stresses me out. Like I don't like to have them all in the same bucket. Um but it's really satisfying to get things done. And that's I, something yeah. that's something about our careers what people don't really understand is that you can totally work for 12 hours and not feel bad about it, but you can't let it take over. Right. It, you walk a fine line because you can feel awesome after, after the end of a 12-hour day. Yeah, like I, I hit a point during the night where it's like I was getting the same sort of satisfaction. Like I compared it to Skyrim. I was getting the same yeah. cor- sort of like endorphin buzz I get from video games because I had, I had like a big collection of small tasks mm-hmm. that are easy to complete. So I was knocking a task out like every 30 or 45 minutes, and that felt so good. That's a, yeah, you were in a rhythm, man. You were yeah, in a rare great. rhythm. You didn't run into anything where you were like, ah. Well, I ran into this. some things, and this goes to where uh, creating Jira tickets. I I find that when I get stressed out is when I have, like, let's say, a t- I'm, I'm We're using Jira as an example. Jira is a, like, yeah. task management system where you create tasks, and then you log hours against it. Like, oh, this task took me seven hours. And there's comments and schedules and all that sort of thing. It helps people manage work. Yeah, yeah. But what really stresses me out, Kyle, mm-hmm. my friend, is mm-hmm. when I have a ticket that is like, it's it's one ticket and the description is complete this project. Oh, no. And it's like, and you look at the estimate, and it's like estimated hours, two weeks. I was like, what do I even do with that? <laughs> is it not an epic? Did you have an epic with many tasks underneath it? Oh yeah, we usually do. But well, this was not. Was this just a... like the estimate for this task is forty hours, and that should never happen. Ooh. No, that should never. Happen. That's a terrible job. Who like? So, could, like do you I, have... I, I, part of my time was spent taking big tickets like that and breaking them down. It's like okay, well, here are some actual. <laughs> instead of a big <laughs> ticket that just says do a thing, like let's right. break that down. Into, that is so stressful to me. That Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So it's very so, soothing to me to take a big thing like that and break that down into like, for me, I would like tickets to only be an hour long estimate. Like I would like tickets, my time to be broken up hour by hour, but I realize that's unrealistic. So yeah, I try to get it under four though. Like, yeah, I think four... Here's something I can finish... In half a day. Yeah. Like Four should be... So that way, if something else comes up that day, I can at least, like, check one box before I go home. Because if I go home without checking any boxes, oh, it makes me feel like a bad person. Yeah, you really do feel bad. Four hours would probably be the the longest I would suggest any kind of business analyst or project manager, whoever's queuing up your tickets. But just for for all the listeners out there, like, the, the, the idea is that... In, a, in an agile working development team or process, you essentially have little sprints that you go on. I mean, you have these levels of task. And essentially, what we're talking about is in this app, this Jira app, where you have all these tasks and, and you know, subsections of tasks, you have a thing called an epic, which, which let's just say, like, build a, a website. Of smaller tasks. Right. Let's say the epic is build a website. Well, then underneath your epic, you would have... Uh, 
put in the HTML code, find images. These would be two different tasks, you know, uh, write CSS, uh, write JavaScript. Or, you know, it's, it's I'm, more, I'm it's more likely to be something like, oh, create the blog page. Oh, mm-hmm. create the photos mm-hmm. album. Oh, create the sure. podcast tab. Yeah, and then yeah, that would break it up ideally into smaller things. But the problem you run into is the business people making business decisions yeah. often aren't familiar with what a technical task is going to require. So yes. you end up like, for instance, this one ticket I had that was estimated at, it was actually estimated at a week and a half. So that's 60 okay. hours is considered a week and a half. Okay. It's just the person who wrote that ticket did not know how to break it down any further than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, where, that's the trouble, is it gets really tricky. Like they, so they you get have up to, to a be point. proactive about stuff like that, or I do, because some people get a thing like that, and it doesn't bother them. But yeah, it really, yeah. It really does me. Do you use uh, T-shirt sizes on your tickets at all? No. No? I like T-shirt sizes. I don't wear tickets. <laughs> have you ever heard of that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what what I always do in my work environments or or with people that put in tickets or or we're discussing a project of some kind like that, like you're saying, you run into people who are business minded, you may not know all the technical work that goes into a piece of your project, and so what what I do to kind of talk them through that to give them an idea without giving them the whole dump is I say, let me give you a T-shirt size on that. So you might say, all right, here's a four-hour task, or can you do this four hours? I would say, yeah, I can do that, but that's an extra large task, right? That's an extra large effort, um, you know, could cause problems. Or you could say, like, oh, this task you're talking about, like, they might come and say, like, this is the most critical thing that we need right now. Then you could say, oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a small you know, this guy over here, I have a developer, he can do that two hours. That's a small for him. This developer over here, he's a newer guy. That's kind of a large for him. He might need four hours. It's just a good way to, like, let them know. Oh, I see. You know, the detail and skill level of it all. I think that works across, like, more than just technical. But whenever you have so if a, we have, a, for a instance, communication if, breakdown. If, let's say a, a user interface ticket came in. Mm-hmm. You give that to me. I'm a background development guy. Like, I yes. get in the guts right. of services and, and stuff. That's where I shine. I can do user interface. Sure. But I'm not super familiar with it. But we have a user interface expert or a user right. experience expert. So mm-hmm. if we have a ticket for that, sure, you can give it to either one of us, and I can definitely get it done. But for yeah. me, that's an extra large ticket, and for him, it's exactly. a small. Right. It helps you manage who it goes to, and it, it, it gives the whoever you're your analysts, like I said, your project manager, whoever's talking, the, like trying to get tell you what they need, it helps them to determine and kind of manage, you know, who do we give this to and, right. and is it a big effort? And, and it goes further than that as far as saying, you know, it. like I said, if you had, like let's say you have three critical things, like this project manager, your business comes to you and says, we have these three things and we got to have them right now. And you look at them and say, all right, well, you're not, you can't get all three, right? Let's pick one. Then you could go through as a team and say, all right, this one is an extra large effort. It's darn near impossible for like the next six months if everything just aligns. Then they might say, okay, that's fine. What about this next one that's just super crucial to us? You guys might all look at each other and talk and say, oh, we could put our heads together and that's a medium. We could probably do that in two months. Um, so it's just a good way hmm. that I've used in the past and I've heard. That's interesting. Just, yeah, just to give them a an idea whenever there's breakdown because everywhere I've ever been, and all of my C-level people <laughs> don't know what the heck's going on. Um, 
So I, I always try to try to talk to them in that way, and they get it, they love it. Um, so if you want some potential bonus points, where you work, or that if you're, cool. you're talking to, I'm actually to giving a presentation soon in my office. I'm doing a, a white paper, well, not a white paper. It's more yeah. like a brown bag session. Yeah, brown bag. Okay. Uh, womp womp. We're using businessy terms, so uh, it's it's like a lunch <laughs> and learn thing. We're gonna have a little yeah. lunch meeting where I'm gonna make a presentation. And uh, something like that would be interesting to include. Yeah, I think I can, my um, talk is mainly going to focus on uh, like how to avoid critical failures. Is is mainly <laughs> what my my speech never is leave, on because never leave the house. Yeah, exactly. Just indoors. No, just because we had some really dumb screw ups recently, and I have uh, one of them was me. And I specific, I, I was talking to my boss about it. I was like, no, the, the whole reason this happened is I abandoned my method. And he was like, well, what method are you talking about? I was like, well, it's the check, uh, checklist method. Okay. And so let me, tell, let me share the checklist method with you. Uh, if you want a better, like more in-depth version of this, there's a book called The Checklist Manifesto, which is kind of where I got it from. But the basic idea of it is... Think of the most important jobs in the world, like life and death stuff, mm -hmm. uh, a surgeon, yeah, a pilot. Mm -hmm. Like if, when you think of all these extremely important jobs where things cannot go wrong, they all have checklists. Yes, very sometimes very 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 large checklists. Yes, detailed large checklists. Uh, checklists that contain other checklists. Yeah. And they like they are not to be thought of as tasks to complete. Like right, you know, right. they're not. It's not like oh, these you can you check the check as many boxes off as you can. You know, it's it's not a task list. It's a checklist, which means if you do not complete all these steps, you do not move forward. Yes, like it it is a full summary. Like if you don't check all the safety boxes on the plane, the plane doesn't leave. Right. So Very it's, smart. it's all about like creating checklists and managing checklists to make sure critical failures don't go forward. Like, for and instance, uh, one thing on my checklist is if I have written a SQL strip script, verify every uh, update or insert statement, uh, specifically delete an update, has a where clause, which means... Mm -hmm. Like, if you're writing a SQL statement for anyone listening, it's a coding thing <laughs> where you're updating a database, and you say, go and do this task where you find information that satisfies this qualification. Like, oh, go update every checklist where the checklist ID is lower than one. Or how about this? Let's or do something it like really, that. really simple. Like, I want to uh, cut the hair of all of the people in the room whose hair is brown, where their hair is brown. Where, yeah, that's the where clause. Something like that, right? So it's something like, for instance, if you forget the where clause, everybody gets a haircut, regardless of their hair color. Right, and that's bad. So the where clause is very important. So yes. that's something that, it's very simple, it's very basic, and everyone knows it, but it is so important. Yes. That it is, necessary to verify it even though it's something that 
is so basic and so simple and everyone who writes code knows. Because even the most experienced person, every now and then, will forget to properly make a where clause and it will screw something up. Absolutely. Because then what happens is, is you update everything in the database in a certain way and who among us has not <laughs> done this? Correct. But typically what happens... And that's what the checklist is for, is the checklist yeah. is there to force you to acknowledge the things you normally skip. Like the things that are simple and basic and of course the you know, of course the airplane has fuel. I don't need to check that. It would be stupid to leave without fuel. Of course it has fuel. Right. You know, it's like no, you have to check that every time. I'm sure no one who flies a plane would skip fuel. But that's an example of something that, you know the the little things that you become so comfortable with and so used to that you might skip it. The checklist is there to make sure like Oh, you're a surgeon. We'll count your surgical instruments before you like verify every tool you're going to need is there. Because if you get into a bad situation and you need a certain tool and it's not there, that's very bad. Yeah, I could see where that would be pretty useful. If you, if you, especially if you had a, a script or a certain process that you were doing pretty consistently. Um, right. And my, because... my my example for that for for programmers is checking in code. There are certain things you need to do every time you check code in that just basic stuff to make sure everything works the way you expect it to. Like, make sure the code compiles correctly. Yeah. You know, Which there's you a lot of... Stuff like that. There's a lot of... Uh, Sometimes like when that. you start working real fast and you're doing multiple check-ins really quickly, maybe you don't always check that compile and you break a build and all the other developers get <laughs> mad at you. You don't go through all of your errors and your error handling and fix them all. Well, no. I mean, how would you know the errors are there if you didn't try to compile it? Oh, my God. You know what what kind mean? of monsters do you work with? <laughs> anyway, no, I understand. So, do you, I mean, you obviously have source control, but do you guys, I mean, you guys have staging environments with staging data to test on, oh, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. But Does every your now data... and then something slips through. Oh, every time. I mean, there's going to be like some like because, I don't want to say every know, time. If but you, if you're you, running one thing, but some part of your code affects like a completely different area of the program, your quality assurance people are going to be testing the thing you changed, not that other wing of the program. So it's always yeah. possible for to have unintended consequences. Yeah, no, but absolutely. having checklists helps prevent mm -hmm. that from happening. Um, did you do you guys back? How often do you back up your data from production to to st your staging environment? Well, we have a lot of environments. We have uh, yeah, I know you probably have several, but yeah, we have dev, staging, user acceptance, training, and then production. And production gets backed up to training like once a month. Yeah, that's good. That's smart. But uh, but nothing else gets updated. How big is your company that you have that? Uh, well, my company used to be very small. It used to be about 30 people, but we were purchased by a really big company. So now it's like, I don't know, 100,000 or something like that. It's not 100,000. It's like <laughs> it's like 5,000 people. Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I usually double, like in the, in the system that I work in, it's a very small data set. But I usually use my, uh, my staging environment as training as well. I don't really have a training um, environment, but I do have a, a dev and, yeah, and a couple I mean, of dev. You know, once, like once our code leaves staging, it's sort of out of our hands. Yeah, you, you guys like do if, it. Right. If something has gone wrong at that point, it's like a deployment issue. It's an issue of moving between the different environments. It's not usually the code issues are all done before uh, it leaves staging. 
see, I'm, I'm in a work environment where I kind of wear a hat of everyone, and it's kind of a pain where, like, I do a little QA, I do a little project management, I'll do a little BA, I do a little dev, I do, do a little this. BS. I do a little BS. And it's um, it's it's very different than what, than what I used to do, but I like the people I work with a lot, so I'm like, I don't care. It's hey, cool. that's it's always all, good. It's all good experience, so... Which, whichever side I'm on is fine, but I, I haven't done any like real solid development in probably like a year, oh, which wow. I'm like, yeah, it's been a while, but I, I, I don't, I don't really care, Jesse. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I like it, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know if I've told you this before or, uh, yeah, I think so. I've been looking into an MBA just because. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm interested in starting my own business if the opportunity arises, but also because that, you know, gives also gives you another angle to, like, exit the development yeah. uh, track gracefully because... Uh, they will churn you know, and burn you in the dev world. They will churn and burn you in the dev world. Uh, I'm lucky that the people I work with now don't look at it that way, but I also see, like, we have... I'm I'm not old. I'm like mid thirties. Sure. Yeah, but and, that's kind of old uh, for a dev. And that's the thing is, it's not old, but when you see people who are coming j- just out of school and they just know stuff you don't know because they're more in it. Yes, like they're, and, they're more in the loop to the and new t- and, and most frequent things. And, and I'll take like forty k like, less than you. Yeah, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot keep myself up to date. I know. As it's so difficult. There. I just can't. I'm in a different place in my life, you know? I know. I have a wife. I have cats. I have res- I have responsibilities yeah. outside of work, so I just can't keep up with that. To be a, a killer right. developer, like past, like into your 40s, I'm going to say, and even later. It's very like, rare. It, it's, it is rare because it, it's honestly, like th- those those men and women that do that, like they also do it when they're not doing it. Yeah, they spent the so much to, off the clock hours. Yes. Constantly researching. I mean, that's the whole the whole thing that you mentioned. And like I would imagine most careers probably don't under, like understand what you're even talking about when you talk about like lunch and learn or brown bag. But that's a very common thing among developers and dev teams where technology moves so fast and like there's there's yeah. so little time for training. Companies like to say, okay. We got our devs. We need them running Basically, 100% of the time. You have to be training outside yeah. of your job. Yes, you do. And not and so, being compensated for it, usually. Yes. And that that's what gets me like the worst. And like that's something I've always struggled with in this kind of career field. And I think that's why I'm okay with doing more of the project management, management side, overall tech work, like just understanding the language and being a gap between executives and then doers um, and kind of helping with that. Uh because I feel like I, I do better at the big picture than, than in the weeds anyway. But, right. but anyway, what my and point that's the is, thing is also, but also once you're a, a, a dev with more experience or something like that, you can have like I've had several instances where the younger programmer who has way more, you know, detailed development uh, ability than I do. Like some of these people are, they're just playing better than me. Period. Yeah. Regardless yeah, of how much time we both put into it. Artificial intelligence just walking around. <laughs> right. But uh, there's also the point where you have, you know, you can have a conversation with people like that and they'll get way too in the weeds on, uh-huh. uh, you know, some plan that they have to accomplish a goal. And you just walk in and you say, 
oh, well, that's really great, but, you know, this is a great way to achieve the goal you want, but what if you choose a different goal to achieve the same results and you can finish it in half the time? Yeah, because they don't so, like to hear that. <laughs> no, they don't like to hear that because what you did, what you just did is removed a puzzle. Like they see yeah. a puzzle that they want to solve and you walk in and say, hey, let me give you an easier puzzle. And they say, no, I want to solve the hard puzzle. Like, right. Well, no, because I need you to do it in half the time. <laughs> so you can't do the hard puzzle. I need you to yep. do the easy puzzle. Yeah. I know a guy who got moved to a completely different uh, department because of that once where he was like that on the dev side and they were like, dude, you're, you're so in the weeds and you like love beating your head against this so much. Like we're going to just transition you to become like a data scientist or something. Right. Um, so that makes sense. But, but the whole lunch and learn thing is, is like where essentially our brown bag is like basically different devs take turns and during their lunch break or sometimes an afternoon meeting, one developer has to come in and present some ideas somewhere and, and where that's so weird is because developers usually don't love public speaking, <laughs> but it's their friends. It's more laid back, I guess. Right. But, um, but it, so, but Jesse in his situation here, he's going to have to, in his own time, not getting paid, find out a thing, be able to speak to it and then try to make it develop applicable. a presentation really and try to make yeah. it something that is this is additive. something we can because i don't yeah. want to waste anyone's time like right. I have this is something that we can use that's like additive to their experience yeah and do you do you bring more than developers in like do you guys have qa and ba that come to that meeting or is it uh, just we would probably have qa not ba though okay um yeah BA is i mean business analysts and qa is quality assurance yep that is right um but uh, but yeah, the the tech field, what a riot! <laughs> yeah, sorry, we've been just going in depth about technology work. Uh, well, I, I am I am excited to announce that. Uh oh, my book is off for editing. Ooh, artwork is being worked on, and we are furthering. Uh, like or we are getting closer to a time where we can we can make that real. I mean, obviously when editing comes back that doesn't mean it's over. There's still more to do. There could always be more additions, but just the first like kind of professional pass on it. And then um I'm also I also have am working on a storefront for to have different designs of things for like just stuff, like t shirts, mugs. Canvases, prints, like uh, like whenever I sent you and Alex that that drawing of Connor or whatever, I'm I'm gonna throw a lot of things at the wall. I'm gonna try to get more into social media and just drop all my pride completely, um, and try to try to do it. With that though, it's really hard to keep interest at my day job, um, because that can easily become something you think about all the time. Right. So that's kind of a struggle for me right now because I like you. I'm just ready to not, not I'm not, I don't want to say I'm ready to do something else because that's not the case, but I, I, I would like to, I would like to make that something more meaningful, a larger part of your life. Yes. And a larger part of like what my, my income and my, my, my personal business, um, to see if that's something that I could work on. But, but yeah, man, uh, I'm kind of excited about it just cause it's, I will that's now great. be the guy who has two books. <laughs> 
instead of just one. Man, I mean, that's that's part of why I worked so much last night is I normally have such a kind of malaise about my job that when I got kind of excited about it last night, I wanted to just keep going, you know, keep that train rolling. got to roll with it when you get the energy. But I'm super excited about your next book, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> All right, put me on the spot. So the uh, the this is my first stab at a a short nonfiction um, book, and it's called Alone Together: Why Your Kids Are Watching Others Play. And it's kind of a it's kind of a compilation of uh, my observations as to why I believe that children are interested in watching other people play video games and not play them themselves and kind of analyzing why that is appealing to them. And what I like to, what I'm doing is I'm also trying to make it somewhat entertaining by breaking down each chapter into a, a subsection of uh, way back when, back in my day and now, and essentially speaking to, you know, what, like, let's just imagine together what a kid's life was like in the 60s. Like, just what we would right. know. I mean, obviously, I wasn't there. You weren't there. Um, you know, someone that would read this might would be there. But, like, let's just break it down. And, like, what, what did they have? What tools did they have to, to find community in their life and to find control in their life? Lawn darts? <laughs> it wasn't a lot. That's the point. Lawn darts, leather football helmets, and unprotected sex, I think, were the main things. <laughs> we're talking about 10-year-olds, though, so. Oh, okay. Well, my, we're good. My we're taking it back down. Yeah, okay, okay, gotcha. Um, and then my day. I might day, cut that out. Yeah, that's, you can totally cut that. But in, in my day, though, is re- it was really fun for me to kind of write through that because it was, it was just, it's essentially just kind of an enhanced blog, right? Because right. what it was was me talking about the good old days of our time, whenever it's, you know, like the mid-90s. So I talk about things like Total Request Live and AOL chat rooms and uh, dial-up internet and, you know, PlayStation, Nintendo's, all these things. Like, you know, I, I talk about with the tools that we had to communicate with the outside, outside world and the tools we had to take control or right. find control um, outside of what, like, our, our parents or our, our grandparents or whatever, like, wanted us to have. And then what you find is that when you go through what kids have today, like the now, is that their tools are seemingly unlimited. It to is, connect it with is the outside wild. world, it is crazy. And so the the whole the whole point that that I'm trying to make is, if you're an adult or a parent or someone that's like saying like, you're just looking at this. And typically, the you know the conversations I've had with people who have kids are like, yeah, why do they do that? I don't, I just don't understand why they like watch people play Minecraft or like why they watch people on the internet. And this this is the phenomenon your book is addressing is uh, the popularity of watching other people play video games on YouTube yes. or Twitch or, or any of these various services. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it's, I break down and think through and talk through, and I think it helps to go back and say, this is what it was like for potentially you. This is what it was like for us at our age. And this is, this is why kids aren't different, but the world is as far as like what tools they have to, to communicate. And it just boils down that, on the, on the premise that kids want community and they want control and though it may seem shallow to you it's obviously enhanced to them because it's it's what they know and they have 
all of this extra information that they're gathering that you never had. Um, and then, uh, you know, my argument is, is that it doesn't matter what type of person you are, really. If you l- were a kid today, you would have the same behavior. So it's not it's not like saying like, oh, this generation is screwed or anything. It's just this is why. Th- and, you know, I have definitions in there. Really, for me, like, I guess my end goal is to, like, take someone for zero understanding and give them a little understanding. And then for them to be able to say, okay, I could talk to a kid about this and know kind of what they're looking at and why they're looking at it. That's the whole point. Yeah, it's a so point, it's not a very it's a long of book. View, yeah, it's a point thing. of view. It's not a very long book. There's not like a bunch of research behind it and I'm more like I hope people come at me and say like you're full of crap. <laughs> uh, and like have you know comments and arguments about it because I think that overall all of the conversations I've seen online personally about it is usually like like Forbes magazine talks to ninja about streaming and, and it's just really dumb like it's and, not and honestly i think streamers might be not the best people to talk to about this no they're not they're really because not. i feel like the the really big streamers out there aren't watching other streams like they're no not they're presenters they're not consumers so they're if you're understanding the drive to consume i think that's the wrong person to be talking to when I think of they Ninja, have a drive to create, you know, right? When I think of Ninja, I mean, this might this might be a stretch to you as I say this, but like, like when I think of Ninja, I think of Bob Ross or Mister Rogers. Like, do you, do you see that at all? Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, like a popular figure that kids are kind of mesmerized with, and like it keeps their attention in such a way. And I mean, more than children watch Ninja. Okay, I'm not saying that it's all like ten year olds. But well, that whole, whatever that thing I'll was. I'll say it. <laughs> Ninja is extremely popular among children. He is. Of course he is. I actually met Ninja He once. has such brightly colored hair. He does. The green hair. He knows what he's doing. Um, I met Ninja once. I didn't say this in the book, but I met him at MLG in Dallas. And um, he seemed like a super nice guy. He was really good at Halo. He won the Halo <laughs> tournament on his team. Like He was a head and shoulders above every other competitor that was there. Um, you know, Halo's all but died, but it, he got like a Nike sponsorship from that, I think, from that tournament specifically. Uh, his whole team did. It was Team Befores. And, um, you know, he, he was just, this wasn't an overnight thing. And I, I tried to make points of that as well, that a lot of people think that, like, just turn on your computer and play games and you'll get famous and rich. But this guy's been grinding for years. Yeah, it takes a concerted effort. It's like when people... Well, it's like any creative industry or any development, you know? It's like we could write... You and I could develop some program together and release it. And maybe it took us a week to put it together and it becomes wildly popular. And guess what? That piece of... You know, that, that thing we developed together didn't take a week. It took 15 years of programming. <laughs> of combined. And, yeah. It took 15 years know-how. of experience to do it is what it took. Even though the actual project only took a couple weeks, it took, you know. Right. So even even something like that, uh, and this is a lot about show business. People people think of the big break. You know, you get your first movie or you get your something like that. And if you do a good job, suddenly you're this huge famous actor. And it's like, well, that person probably spent 15 years, like, eating dirt 
yeah trying to become a famous actor like that, and, you know. and I think that's the rule and the exception is is like some guy is not trying and he gets lucky but like that's the exception I think that right. most of the time it's the rule that even if you even like people that you know so like, like so are, Ninja Ninja's really big now but he spent like 15 years being a nobody playing Halo yeah but you still kind of hate his guts because he's making like 700k a month <laughs> no I don't hate Ninja no I'm kidding I don't hate his guts but 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 yeah, it's and I even go through some of that, like how streamers make money, um, and what their average base salaries are, because I think that's something also like adults typically. Right. But well, don't the, here's know, the thing: is if you're if you're looking at average salaries of streamers, are you considering the people who make no money? Because there's uh, a lot of them. No, I say top in the book. I'm like top okay. streamers, but then I also talk about. I was like, look, here's the thing: there are thousands upon thousands right this moment. Who have zero viewers and they're playing to no one. Almost everybody and, makes no money. Yes. Um, so it, you know, and good on them. It's kind of sad, but good on them to like, you know, push for their dreams and hopefully they'll do something with it. But it's not at all a thing where it's it's easy to do. So I, I hope that that point comes across as well. That I, I genuinely do view it as a legitimate profession in the day and age that we live in. Right. Um, so you know, I hope that it kind of respects all parties and. Like I said, it's just really something I'm passionate about, something I've kind of seen be born and come alive. You and I have talked about it for a long time. We've been kind of, I wouldn't say we're in that culture, but we are very aware of it. How much of it uh, do you think is, and this is something I've thought about a lot, because I've I've been fortunate enough to to meet some people that I'm a pretty big fan of. Okay. But uh, at the same time, like, oh, I'm a fan of these people. And these are minor, you know, internet celebrities. So they're people like, you know, uh, like the guys who run Giant Bomb. <clears throat> excuse me, GiantBomb.com. I love those guys. It's they're one good. of my favorite websites, and I like watching those guys stream. Those are the people I watch stream games. Mm-hmm. And it's I've watched them for six or seven years. Like I know their personalities. I know, you know, I'm very familiar with. I want to say I'm familiar with these people, but I'm not. You I'm almost have a with friendship like, with them, but it's yeah. not really a friendship. I, I I am familiar with the version of themselves that they present on their show, and I right. you know I'm very aware of that. And when I meet them, it's like, hey, I really like your work, and it's weird because I feel like you're my friend, but you're not. And yeah. So, how much of that do you think, uh, coming in this like new generation who are constantly consuming this? Is is there a certain aspect of it that's like a consumption of friendship? Absolutely. Like friendship on tap, almost, that you don't, you know, with no cost to yourself. I think that whatever you feel, because I felt the same thing, like if you, and, and to say, you know, we're talking about Giant Bomb. Giant Bomb doesn't stream games like Ninja necessarily. No, they, they don't. Do it, it's, it's a different thing. It's, like it's almost have... journalistic, but not. It's more of like, hey, we're just doing, you know, quick looks of video games that came out and we're going to, inject our own personality and talk about like this is just our impression they they all have journalist backgrounds and they they have a lot of like they go through a lot of ethical uh, procedures and things like that to make sure they're not doing anything weird like they don't take money directly from developers or anything like that right anyway so they all have this journalistic background but they also just have if you're a premium subscriber like myself they also (laughs) just have shows like they have a show right now called uh, Die Another Friday, where they one of them is playing through James Bond 007 Goldeneye, the N64 yeah. game, on the hardest setting. 
That sounds like tried, a ton of fun. And they try to beat a level a week. And it's just, it's it's a streamer thing, but it's still, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. I like their when, personalities, and I like watching them. And it's more yeah, just a vehicle, like, because this guy is playing the game, but there's four people there, and they're, like, conversations and banter between each other is why I actually watch. I don't really care about the game. Yeah, and, and that's, like, that's the whole thing about, like, in games back in the day, like, I love playing games by myself, sure, and I like playing, but I, I argue even in the book where a single player where I play with someone else and we take turns is ultimately a better time. Um, oh, that's how I played Resident, every Resident Evil game with Jimmy Otts, is how yeah. I, that's how I played it, as we passed the controller. To share the experience and have commentary and, and to do something active together like that is is very intoxicating and it's very, like, it, it builds relationships. Like, I have a lot of relationships and friendships that I've had for years that were built on doing a common interest of video games. But to your point, the question you asked about, like, um, the community side of it is, like, yeah. It, well, it's imagine, not even the community side of it. It's, like, there's this but, but feeling the friendship. of friendship yes, that of is connection. almost on tap. It's instant. What, yes. You can tune into it whenever you want, and it doesn't cost you anything. And when I say community, what I mean is, like, finding a friend outside of your family. That's what I really mean by saying that. Right. And so, and so I say... Uh, heck yes, that's a part of it. But think about like you're you and I are like our mid thirties, and we feel that a little. If you're ten, that is probably exponentially more important to you, and feels a lot stronger of a connection. Right. <clears throat> so that is again an argument that I make in my book is that <clears throat> it may seem shallow to you, but it is. And, and so I try to do my best to say like, imagine when you were growing up and you're watching Mister Rogers. If Mister Rogers like turned around and looked at you. And spoke to you directly into the camera, or and you could just your watch questions him. live. Yes, where answer you your question. Type a question in, and he answers. Yes, and calls you by name and says thank yes. you very much. Yes, and you could see him every day live for like eight hours a day. It's insane. And then I argue, like, what if Tiger Woods or LeBron James did that? Like they were just like Tiger Woods is just on on the green, putting around, answering your questions. Like people would pay top dollar for that. Right. But then, but it's but what if it were every day so i mean i think it spans All over age yes with DVR I think so you can go back and watch old episodes yeah i think it i think it spans generations based on interest but i think if you're a young if you're a child and you live a life where your parents like you have a phone you have a couple screens in your room but you have a phone in your hand and you can connect to these apps and talk to other people and see these people who are kind of friends or, or you know kind of neighbors to you in a way. Um, one, everyone else is on their phone and like you, your mom has a GPS tracker on you. Uh, she knows every grade you're making. She knows every test that's coming I'm up. I'm going to get my kids chipped like my cat. <laughs> I mean, it's not outside of the realm of, of possibility. But anyway, so, you know, I, a big argument I make in the book is kids, I would imagine, I don't know, I don't follow a bunch of kids around, but I would imagine they don't have as many free roam type environments like you and I potentially did. I talk about a lot how well, I, I have vivid memories. Well, I acre farm, so I would just screw yeah, up exactly. into the woods with an axe every now and then. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'd take a gun with me and just go wherever. But even yeah. in towns, I talk about how like me and friends when we were like in fourth grade would take ATVs through drive through windows. You know what I mean? And I say like if you talk about that now, it talks about like, the start of like a, an apocalyptic movie. Fourth graders right. roaming on ATVs. Um, and that's weird how that's changed. And I don't know if that's for better or for worse, but now if you're a fourth grader, you're not leaving your room. 
And even if you did, your parents know where you are. So like your only outside communication that's free are things like this, like a medium like this, where you can get on free, have a voice, be able to input some kind of information, even if it's among 20,000 or 100,000. You have some sort of, of footprint and some sort of, you know, back and forth, even if it's minuscule, you have a back and forth. And I would argue that maybe because you don't have as much back and forth in the physical world, you know, in your free time, that's what's going on. You know, I make the argument. And there is like the only concern, the reason I bring up this idea of like this artificial feeling of friendship that's, that's on tap. Uh, And I say that because that is very much how I feel when I, watch giant bomb stuff oh, like too. i react to the things they're saying as if it were my friends saying it like people because it feels like i've known these people for 10 years but mm-hmm. i haven't and uh is there is i think if you get too involved in something like that at an early age there is the like feeling uh, like how do you process that like yeah. how the, I would worry about someone's ability to process like real in-person friendships compared to that. Like what do you expect out of a one-on-one person to person friendship compared to this thing that you, you know, like I have to make no sacrifice to feel like these are people are my friends, but often with a person to person, like, you know, it is, it's not transactional, but it is like, I have to give you, it's given like you have to, yeah, you have to have trust in me and I have to have trust in you and all this stuff. And there's but vulnerability. I, I also think, like, all the... And that's my old manism, is, oh, <laughs> what if the kids don't learn how to be friends? And it's like, that's my old manism, but, like, all old manisms, that is going to affect such a small percentage of people. Like, kids yeah. still go to school. Kids still go to church. Kids still right. like, have social interactions with, with real people. So yeah, and I, I don't think again, it's a huge concern. Again, I talk about that in my book, too, is I talk about I think kids today have more controlled group like sports and sessions where they're kind of controlled like in time slots are a little more strict than we did but they still have interaction with other kids they still have to give and take a little but it but it is different because it's not like you the situation that i grew up in is there were plenty of times where me and like three or four other 10 year olds were on our own and no one knew what the heck we were doing and we could have been doing anything we didn't have the tools to really do anything too crazy. But I mean, we, we like, you know, there was no record of it and it wasn't on a, there was no chaperones and it wasn't on a clock. Now I think the kids have it a little more on the clock. So I think that, I think it's a little filtered. And I also think that, I mean, that could be potentially why people get, get, or, or so, you know, they, they get more frustrated on the internet or maybe they like let loose a little bit more. Um, you know, he compares like, well, you know, the kids aren't going to cr- cuss in front of his coach. But you get two, two or three ten-year-olds together on a, a playground somewhere. They're by themselves. They're gonna like curse up a storm. Oh, I totally did that when I was a kid. Of course, like, but like when you... I was alone with my child friends. <laughs> I remember because it would, uh, it would make Jimmy very upset. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I also <clears throat> just naturally, I still do. I swear a lot. I swear constantly to myself, and I try not to do it when I'm on this podcast or when I'm when I'm. It's really out, hard to do when I'm around real people, but I swear so much, and I, yeah. I've been like that ever since I was a little child. And it would make yeah. I thought it was so funny how upset Jimmy got that I was there. <laughs> so you're the bad kid. Yeah. Well, um, in that aspect, sure. Yeah, um, but but yeah, but the, the the point though of saying that I think that 
kids today, their their vulnerability in their alone time is more online. And and like we're saying, where, where you have kind of a a friendship that's not really a friendship, like those giant bomb guys, you you do you do know them. You probably know like they they talk about their daily lives to an extent. Like you could probably speak to them in a way like just as much as you could speak about me as being a friend. But they don't know you at all. <laughs> they don't. But I, they would, I, I also think it's important you. to have, like I said, it feels like I could talk to them as if I know them. But right. it's like I don't know them. But you I don't. I know the people that they are on camera. Yes, yeah, true. Which is not them. That's true. Like, it's hard. It's, and it's, it's increasingly. Like you know this person, but that person is still like a construct they have. Yeah. Reality TV yeah. never got me in that way, where I was always like, "Yeah, this I can tell this is bullcrap and edited." But whenever you get on, like on these live streams or these live shows, like there is gonna be a little bit of holdback where you don't really know these people like you would if they're off camera. But you have to remember they're still on camera, like they still have a layer of like this. You're seeing part of me, but it's not the whole me. So it's not enough to have a relationship. But yeah, I mean the argument that could kids have some kids have trouble like giving and taking relationships and knowing how to talk to people, you know, outside of cameras and kind of having an extra, extra thing up. I would say yes, but I mean, growing up the, the mantra, like churches and things like we all wear a mask. Mm-hmm. We all, you know, in public, we're all someone, but in our hearts we're we all know who we really are. A bunch of sinners, you know, whatever. I mean, like that's true today, right? I think it's just a different median uh, medium that these, that these kids are on. And that's, what's so weird is I think that parents and adults don't understand that a wink and a smiley face on an emoji can mean just as much as getting a physical note from a girl in your classroom who says, you know, do you like me? But it, but to a kid today, it's the same thing. To adults today, it's the same thing, by the way. But uh, But you know what I mean? So it's an interesting topic. I love it. I could talk about it, it all is. night, but, the, but uh, uh, that's why. So I wanted to write a book about it because it, just to have the I, conversation. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I can't. Uh, I can't wait for this to come out. I I'm think really it's excited. Be, yeah, I don't, even if uh, you know if it sells a lot or doesn't sell a lot, I think it'll. I think it will help someone understand this part of the culture that you really don't understand unless you take part in it in some way. And I like I said, you and that's I. That's true. Seeing We're like, sort of the bridging generation. Yeah, we are. We are. I, you know, I even say that. I'm like I'm like one of the unicorn millennials where I remember a time before the internet. But I'm still a verified millennial. Um, well, yeah. I, I think... Uh, well, that's the thing about millennials, though. Millennials is kind of defined as the generation who, like... Oh, like, the internet happened when we were teenagers. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, that's that's what millennials are. What a weird of. time. Yeah. What a weird, that weird, weird time. That's why we don't buy houses. <laughs> I own a house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's why I don't buy a house because I'm a millennial. <laughs> Too funny. I do like avocado toast, though. Hey, you know, I've never that's tried it. That's a lie. I don't like I, I like almost nothing avocado, to be honest. Really? I like avocado a lot. I'm no, sure I would like avocado toast, but it sounds stupid. And I would rather just put butter on something. Mm, butter like, is delicious. I don't care what it is. Toast. Get guacamole out of my face. Give me a bowl of butter. Did you see my Instagram post? <laughs> yeah, I did. Of course I did. <laughs> I wasn't even intending to lead up to that, but I literally posted a photo of me dipping a cookie into some butter. 
That's disgusting. <laughs> this was during my 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 yeah. nighttime. It was just before you got inspired. Uh, you no, ate this that. Was, this was then, while I was uh, working. I was gonna say maybe you found like the recipe. Yeah, maybe if I just did maybe. some chocolate chocolate chip cookies in whipped butter. You could start a new <laughs> diet. It's the cookie. It's the yeah. cookie butter diet. You get real fat, but you get a lot of stuff done. You get high energy. You're hyped up all the time. You get the yeah. perfect balance of carbs and fats. Um, Man, fat and sugar. It'll get you every time. It's so great. It is a great combination. It's the killer combination, but it's, yeah, carbs and fats together. They're so good. Fried. Salt's pretty good, too. Of course, yeah. I had, sodium. A, I had a burrito for lunch today that I thought would be healthy. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'm going to go get a shrimp and bean burrito from this food truck. Because yeah. that sounds, sounds right. healthy. There's no rice. Yeah. It's just, you know, a corn tortilla. Shrimp and beans with some lettuce and stuff. Okay, that sounds good. So I got it. I didn't know the shrimp was fried. Ooh, that sounds really good now. <laughs> uh, it was. It was really del- the like first half of the burrito was really delicious until I got to the second half of the burrito and realized like all the oil from the fried shrimp uh, had just like pooled in the bottom of the burrito. Uh, so it was almost. It was. I was just eating like. <laughs> it was basically oil. an etouffee at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had a sushi burrito? No, I haven't. Oh, it's so good. It's just a big sushi roll. It's just like a giant size spicy tuna roll, but it's so good, Jesse. You should find one. I mean, I'm sure in Austin they have some sort of food truck that does that. Um, well, probably. Sushi, sushi roll um, or sushi burrito. Um, I kind of miss food trucks. I don't have any food trucks in my part of the world right now, but in Nashville when I worked there, there was like, Food truck day every every day downtown that have several food trucks. It was so good. Yeah, we have a different food truck every day at our office, and I just um, I don't normally go to it, but I did today because I went to work at eleven thirty a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'll just stop at this food truck to save time. Man, I like it. I like it. But I, I worked for twelve hours, so yeah, no, yeah, no one cares as long as you get your work done. They shouldn't care. That's a fine line. We don't have to go into that, but like that's something that gets me more than anything. Well, I, I had a 12 o'clock call that was like my oh. performance review for the month. <laughs> so that was the only reason I made it in by 12. And uh, my boss was like, very complimentary about how much I had gotten done, even though I kind of slacked off for a couple days last week. I understand. Yeah. As long as it gets done on time. They don't care as long as it gets done. I mean, well, I say they. Some, some managers live by the old rules of like i need you here eight to five just for looks and you know what i mean right and that kills me jesse that kills me because i'm like if i'm here eight to five people are gonna bother me all day right it kills and me I because need... i get so much work done from like 6 p.m to 10 p.m i know i need I focus twi- I, in those four hours i can get twice as much work done as an eight hour work day but because of convention yeah that's when I gotta spend time with my wife. I know. Like if I could just be at work from home more, I, I get so much more done working at home. There's something about it where it's just—I think it's just no one's bothering you. Um, or there's yeah, not just I, like I really air think that's it. It's sounds. No one's bothering you. There's no like like looking over your shoulder or anything right. like that, which I don't look over my shoulder, but you know what I mean. Like I, I sit in a very open space at my job, so. Anyone can just walk over and just kind of see me working. Anybody can just walk over and kind of talk to me or talk loudly. 
you know i'm just i'm a really slow starter so like yeah yeah my day doesn't re- like even though i'm at work at 8 a.m my day doesn't really get going until around noon because i'm just like i just can't get up to speed that quickly I hear you, dude. so if i could work from like noon to eight they would get more out of me oh my god that would be the perfect hours wouldn't it could you imagine that would be wonderful when we start our our streaming <laughs> job, Kyle. We're gonna stream from noon. Oh, we gonna stream? Day. Are we becoming streamers? Is this happening? What game are we gonna play? We're just let's just bitch about the tech world. <laughs> right. This is it. We're streaming about how the tech OBS. world. I'm gonna turn on OBS. Turn right on now. OBS. We'll we'll just this is what we'll do. We'll just do some YouTube video games in the background and just talk over it. <laughs> well, the kids the kids will love it. Right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This has been Wizard Opinions filler episode because we forgot to talk about the topic this episode. Yeah, uh, we'll get to it. it. What was our topic? <laughs> uh, when Al- next time we talk to Alex, we're going to talk about not string theory, um, simulation theory. Simulation theory. So yeah, yeah, next time we talk to Alex, we're going to talk about simulation theory. He couldn't be with us today. So we have a little bit of a filler episode, but I feel like we went some great places and had a great conversation with my friend Kyle Mathis. It was a pleasure, Jesse, as always. All right. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>